0: and welcome to Ag PhD Radio broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're going to be talking about micronutrients on today's program and it was interesting as is uh, I walked in today had a bunch of soil samples that have gotten pulled already and it got me thinking about all the soil fertility things going on. One of the questions that we get we get, obviously we get a lot of uh, questions around N, P, and K, and certainly a lot of questions around sulfur in the last few years, which has been great. But once you get those levels up on N, P, K, and sulfur, the the focus quickly turns to some of these different micronutrients. And I know zinc gets a lot of talk, and boron is certainly getting a lot of talk. But there are more micronutrients than that that our crop absolutely has to have. They are required and essential for plant growth. And when we get a stress year like this, so many parts of the country had some pretty good heat, uh, even some drought. When you get in those stressful conditions, it really stands out when you have your micronutrients in line as well, not just the N, P, and K. So we're going to talk about some of the important things about micronutrients on today's program and how to deliver them to your crop, which is going to be a little bit of a challenge going into 2022 when fertility prices are up the way they are. So certainly that will raise some questions. Uh, and if you have any other agronomic questions too, our phone lines will be open at 844 ag phd or you can email us, radio
1: at agphd.com. Darren, you made the comment that your that attention turns quickly to micronutrients. Um, I, I realize where you're going with that, but I'll just say this. On most farms, it doesn't turn quickly to micronutrients. Well, it's the first it's thing that people cut. Sometimes.
0: It's the first thing that people no, cut when things get tough.
1: Many, many people don't do it, don't think about it, don't test for it, Nothing. And so, what our, our number one piece of advice today is just simply this at least look at what your micronutrient levels are. So, in the last three years, we've been charting out all our GPS grid points for soil testing and matching those to yield. And I, I don't think it's overly surprising to me, but it may be to you that we can see a direct correlation between certain micronutrients and yield, as well as certain ratios of nutrients and yield. For example, phosphorus to copper and phosphorus to zinc. We've been talking about that a lot here in the last couple of years. If you don't have your phosphorus to copper and phosphorus to zinc ratios right, your yields go down. That's just the way it is. And and I got the data to show you that over three years and thousands of, of grid points. So Anyway, it is a big deal, and that's why you want to take a look at it. And it doesn't cost a whole lot of money either. You can absolutely get your your issues addressed on micronutrients inexpensively in most cases. So think about how cheap zinc is and how cheap copper is. And yes, I realize all fertilizer has gone up, but commodity prices have gone up too. So anyway, it's still just cost peanuts for micronutrients compared to what the average bar, average farm spends on N, P, and K. So we would really encourage you, take a look at those micronutrients and at least be testing for them. It's unbelievably important. So we're going to talk about that throughout the show, but right now, let's get to the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's now mailbag time with Brian and Derek. Okay, uh, first
0: one comes from Allen in Nebraska. He said, I was wondering this year with the high fertility prices, if a guy should just put out grain removal uh, to maintain what you got in your soil. For example, say you had 240 bushel corn, just put back 84 pounds of phosphorus, or do you think we need to put some extra out there for loss due to stover or anything else?
1: Well, yeah, I'm I'm probably just going to suggest you fertilize for grain removal at a minimum. But as I say that, what we would really like is for you to do some soil testing and see, do you actually need that? In other words, maybe you're long on a couple of nutrients and maybe this is a year that you could mine a little bit out of the soil. On the other hand, maybe you don't have enough with other nutrients and it's impacting your yield. And just simply putting out crop removal, that's not enough. As an example, like on our own farm here, we used to have a bunch of fields that were really short on potassium. And at worst, we were on a, so we were on a build program. But at worst, I wanted to put out double grain removal, and it was really helping accelerate our yields because we were so short in potassium. There just simply wasn't enough there. Even if we put out grain removal, that was not enough. So I I it, it, I can't answer this. just because I'm not looking at your soil tests but yeah at a minimum usually we're talking grain removal. Hey uh, Darren yesterday we had a question come in from Tim or more of a a comment just pictures of storms over in eastern Iowa. So this is Tim from Iowa and there's a lot of corn laying flat. Uh, Oh anyway yeah he does have a question here. It was the corn was at two-thirds milk line at the time of the storm here a couple three days ago wondering if it will still mature and dry down so if your corn is laying relatively flat we've had this happen before and yes it usually does end up maturing just slowly and it stays a lot wetter so plan on wetter corn and it's it it's tough because you want to let it dry down more but by the same token the longer you let it dry the more stuff actually falls on the ground So you're probably going to have to take it real wet. It's going to cost a little bit more money to dry it down, but that's just the way it goes. And also the harvesting, terrible, like one mile an hour. So the last time this happened to us in a big way was probably 15, 20 years ago. And we just realized, number one, we don't want overpopulation. And that's what we were doing in a few cases. And it was my fault. So I was the one who screwed it up. And then the other side of it was... Flat out, not enough potassium. So I'd really encourage you, where the corn went down the worst, for anybody listening today, and I know there's a lot of corn that's gone down here in the last couple of weeks, please go to the worst area soil test it find out what your potassium copper and manganese levels are those all need to be in the high range and when they are then you're going to have a lot less problem with this lodging or green snap or anything else because your stocks will be so much stronger and by high i'm not just talking parts per million like on potassium we want to be at a minimum four percent base saturation k but like on our farm now where we're going for real high yields six to seven percent base saturation k and i one even higher if I had really light soil like less than 10 CEC so anyway we can certainly address more of those questions later in the show Uh, but we want to talk about micronutrients today that's our big focus we'll get to that right after this you're listening to Ag PhD Radio
2: AgroLiquid is precision crop nutrition that means being committed to product performance to research and field testing and to superior agronomics. Most of all, AgroLiquid is committed to delivering precisely the right nutrition in the right way, including seed-safe planter plus side dress applications and foliar applications with low burn risk. AgroLiquid, apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com.
3: No matter what time of the year it is on your farm, with the Bayer Plus Rewards Program, earning and redeeming rewards are always in season. Because when you buy two or more eligible seed or crop protection products throughout the year, you earn $3 per acre in cash back rewards. Cash you can redeem and reinvest in your farm later in the season. That's Bayer Plus Rewards. And that's how we're helping make every part of your season, well, rewarding. Visit mybayerplus.com to learn more. See program terms and conditions for full details.
0: Don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game. listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today, and our topic is micronutrients. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show. To take any agronomic question that you have, 844-44-AG-PHD, or if you're a little challenged on the phone like my brother is, it's just 844-442-4743. You can always email us as well, radio at agphd.com. Got a number of emails that came in uh, here over the last couple of days that we haven't got to yet, so we'll get to some of those later in the show. Let's start off with John Leaf with AgroLiquid, just to talk a little about micronutrients. John, thanks for joining us.
5: Well, thank you for having me.
0: All right, so Brian Brian made a couple of comments to start the show off. John, I, I said, boy, micronutrients are essential and uh guys need to focus on them a little bit more and Brian said no you're wrong Darren guys are not even testing for them in a lot of cases and and they just aren't aware what a big difference they can make so talk to us John we've got fairly high end and k prices and I'm not not uh, discussing that with you today to cry about it or anything but just you know some <laughs> of those things if you want to really up your p and k it takes a lot of money but with these micronutrients they aren't super expensive why aren't more guys doing it
5: well yeah, you're right. It's not terribly expensive, and they are vitally important to crop production. Um, no matter if you have enough N, P, and K, if you don't have enough of the uh, the various micronutrients, uh, you're you're limiting your your yield potential. Uh, why aren't they testing for it? Now, oh, there's probably a lot of reasons. Uh, some just simply don't think um, there is an additional cost to testing for micronutrients, and some people uh, uh, don't want to spend that extra money, but uh, quite honestly, that's some of the best money that you can spend on a, on a soil test analysis, is to make sure that you have that complete picture, including the micronutrients, in order to, uh, to really figure out what's going on in your, in your crop production system.
0: All right. So with micros, here's another thing, John. I, I talked to a lot of farmers that end up getting a, a dry NPK blend and they say, well, I don't use micros because I'm getting this blend done and they, they've just got a little different consistency. They can sort out those types of things as they're bouncing down the road. They can shake out to the bottom, that type of thing. Um, talk to us about liquid options because for the guys that are doing a dry blend on NP and K, what about a liquid option? Are micronutrients safe? To put in furrow, what have you seen over the years?
5: Um, yes, uh, there are uh, a lot of micronutrients that are safe to put in furrow. Um, Agro Liquid has a, a full line of, ag- of uh, micronutrient products, both in various package blends, such as our Micro 500 or Micro 600, Micro 1000. And uh, depending on the crop, of course, corn, soybeans, um, very safe to be putting in furrow. Uh, there are certain uh, products out there that you probably don't want to put in furrow. Uh, some of the boron products out there uh, can, be, uh, can be a bit uh, uh, hazardous when, uh, when putting in furrow, but uh, with agro-liquids boron uh, up to at least a pint per acre in most uh, cases, uh, we are seeing no uh, issues with, uh, with crop safety, and uh, we're, we're having excellent uh, performance.
0: Well, I know if you're used to buying, say, urea, you can buy urea from a lot of different sources and it's probably fairly similar. But when you look at liquid fertilizer, there's a lot more that goes into that product than just the, the pounds of a certain nutrient. There's a lot of technology there. Talk to us about that, John. How, how are some uh, products safer than others? What's the real difference?
5: Well, a lot of it is uh, in how the product is formulated and uh, what the product does in the soil and what the product does in the plant. Uh, Agri-liquid products, uh, for example, we have a a technology we call flavanol polymer technology that allows uh, the the products to be um, safe from tie-up in the soil so that they're available to the crop. And they're also... Uh, formulated so that they can be taken up into the crop very efficiently, and uh, we can uh, take advantage of of those uh, types of uh, of technologies those types of formulations in order to uh, to get those uh, nutrients into the crop uh, and uh, get them to their to their point in the in the plant where they can be best utilized. Uh, other companies also have, uh, have different uh, formulation technologies and some of them are very good and some of them have limitations, uh, but um, you're exactly right. Liquids uh, have a lot of, of chemistry involved in it and uh, there's also compatibility uh, considerations as well. Uh, certain uh, products uh, are easily mixed with each other from a nutrient standpoint and with crop protection products and some of them you have to be kind of careful with
0: you know when we're, we're doing foliar apps there's a lot of growers that say okay I, I am not set up for infero or two by two I'm going to go the foliar route I like to see micronutrients in good levels in the plants early in the season are, are early season apps the way to go John or am I missing something here would we rather see it uh, closer to the reproductive stages in various crops
5: well, uh, again, so much of that depends on the, uh, the condition of your soil. Um, I'm like you, I like to see um, our micronutrients applied early on in the season. If we can get them in at uh, planting, either in-furrow or two-by-two, that's the best. But as you said, there are a lot of uh, uh, folks that aren't able to do that. Um, uh, an early application of micronutrients as a foliar uh, has its benefits. Um, for, but for soybeans, for example, I, I like to see more of a late vegetative uh, to early reproductive um, timeframe because that's when uh, those, uh, that crop is really uh, taxing that micronutrient uh, need the most. And it's also a great time to get some of those timing-specific micronutrients like boron into the plant and boron is one of those that uh, uh, is really important for um, seed production, pollination, early seed set. So uh, that that provides a lot of, uh, of targeted uh, application timing to, to get the nutrients where they need and when they need it.
0: One of the reasons that I made the comment about just getting micros out there early, John, is is we're, we're coming off our, our second year in a row that we've been too dry and too hot. And we just see such a difference in our crops with our stress tolerance in fields that we've had for a while and we've been able to to get micronutrients out there versus some of the new ground that we picked up that, frankly, I don't know if we've ever bought a piece of ground that had good levels of micronutrients in it. It seems like they're always kind of run down on the micro. They might have decent levels of NP or K, but uh, but the micros, rarely do we get a new piece of ground that has good micro levels. So where we've built those up, we just seem to tolerate that heat and that drought a lot longer is that normal is that what you would expect or or what what would you expect farmers to notice out in fields that have good levels of micronutrients
5: Uh, certainly uh, stress tolerance is is a big advantage in fields that have good micronutrient levels Um, I know we've talked in the past about zinc being a uh, a really important micronutrient to go along with potassium for um, uh, drought stress or, or water uh, stress management, um, having um, manganese and iron and, and copper and boron for that for that matter, uh, all present early, uh, so that those uh, early uh, or those young crops can really take advantage of what's already there, um, provides you know just general uh, better plant health, better ability to handle the stresses that uh, come along during the summer. Uh, be it drought or, uh, uh, you know, insect or disease pressure, uh, a lot of those uh, uh, stress responses can uh, certainly be uh, either, uh, you know, alleviate bad stress responses alleviated by good crop nutrition, uh, which would uh, would certainly include micronutrients.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. We're talking with John Leaf here with Agro Liquid. John, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for sharing a little bit about what makes uh, micronutrient formulations a little different from others and certainly agree with you a hundred percent. Get complete soil tests this fall. Great recommendations, John. Really appreciate it.
5: All right. Thank you so much.
0: Talking about micros on today's program, one thing I probably should ask John about a little bit is putting on blends of micros versus individual micros. That's something that has been very useful for our farm to utilizing the blend products, especially if we're in a situation where we're putting it near the row and uh, trying to feed this year's crop. You don't want to don't want to go short on some or overload on one nutrient versus the other. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD and we'll be right back. When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts.
4: And nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates. And the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's dragotech.com.
1: nothing waits for a farmer not the weather the banker the crops it's never at a farmer's convenience so when it comes to crop protection savings programs how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate don't wait for rebates get the true choice offer from corteva agriscience for instant upfront savings on crop protection products ask your local pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the true choice offer from corteva but don't wait
0: We're talking about micronutrients on today's Ag PhD radio show. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio and our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. I know you hear talk about micronutrients on your farm and I have talked to farmers before that have said, you know, I've heard there are just plenty of micronutrients in the soil. I'm fine. I don't need to put any of those on. And I just say, well, have you tested for them to see how many are in the soil? Well, no, I haven't. Well, why haven't you tested? And you know, there's a lot of confusion about that. Why? Well, I don't know. It's just not the normal test that, that my co-op runs or my fertilizer dealer runs or my crop consultant runs. I, I would say it's something you really need to look into. I love that advice from John Leaf. Make sure you're getting a complete test so you can make your own decisions. Don't take a piece of information from somebody else that says, oh, yeah, no, you're fine. You have plenty. Maybe you do for really really low yields, but if you're shooting for high productivity and really good quality produce that you're growing with lots of vitamins and and everything in it, uh, you got to have good micronutrient levels. Get our friend Paul Borges on right now out in California. Paul, I know uh, I know that you're passionate about micronutrients too. We don't want to leave these things out. Talk to us about soils out there. Do you get some of those same objections that that oh, there's plenty out there. You don't need to worry about that.
6: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's the same over here. It's not much difference. And we gotta show the guys, you know, explain to them why we wanna do test we want to complete soils tests and you take your tissue samples and you put all that together at the end of the year and you make the decision for the following season. But that soil test with all that information, now you can make decisions on when you wanna do a foliar spray or a pre fertilizer before your corn or your or whatever crop you're gonna grow.
0: Now, we're, we're kind of blessed where we're at because it gets nice and cold and our ground's frozen for half the year. I know you probably don't feel the same way, Paul. You'd probably prefer to have a nicer climate than that. But uh, with our ground frozen for that much time and we've got heavy ground and not that much rain, we feel like we can get most nutrients to stick around in our soil. But I'm betting that some of your guys are a little concerned about boron and keeping that around. How big a challenge is that for you?
6: It can be, and in, uh, in some places, real sandy. Um, that's why we're always adding a little bit in season, or we make sure it's a little bit in our foliar sprays. And then we got the opposite problem. I got too much boron coming out of the water, where we're watching what you know other nutrients to keep everything in balance. But boron is always one that's you know you have to add a little bit. It doesn't take a lot too. That's the nice thing about it, to keep it where you need for that crop you're growing.
0: Now you mentioned that word balance, and I know uh, our our common friend Neil Kinsey talks about that word a lot. For farmers that, that are talking about, all right, you, you talk about balance all the time, and, and we're looking at N, P, and K, and sulfur, and some of these nutrients we need lots of, calcium, magnesium. What about the micros? How do they fit into this? Do you just have certain parts per million levels that you're looking for, or does it vary a lot depending on uh, – your exchange capacity in the soil and how heavy that ground is, and and big levels of other nutrients.
6: Yeah, it, it, you know, we're looking for certain ratio, uh, numbers parts per million of each one, but it varies from the sand to the very heavy dirt. I actually, don't know how many pounds you got in the soil, and where all the other nutrients are in place, if anything's blocking one of those out. And that's that's the fun part is finding, you know, okay. What's one being? Which one's being tied up? How do I get that one available to that plant or to that crop? And that's where you get the decisions to make with your foliar sprays or irrigation, irrigation uh, fertilizer runs. You can add stuff in there. It's a balancing act, but it can be done. It just takes a little bit of time to get it corrected where you want it to go.
0: You know, Speaking about that, I, I know Neil told a story about, about some growers that needed copper and that building it up a couple of parts per million is something that their crop was going to take 20 years to draw back down, so they'd be in good shape for a long time. Do you find micronutrients being something that, hey, over just a few years, you can get things fixed, or is it something that requires constant additions? Uh,
6: on most places, once you get it lined up, it stays right there. It doesn't, you know, how much is removed doesn't draw it down so fast. But there, once you get it dialed in, you get your zinc in the proper area, uh, your borons, you know, there are certain ones that are leachable, like boron, sulfur are always going to be short in the soil because they're negative. They're going to leach through the soil. Or boron is neutral. Um, so once you get everything into balance, just the little spots here and there you got to hit. And you'll keep those numbers where you go. And if you're short, it's a slow building process to get those numbers where you go. But with the products we have nowadays, it's pretty economical to get there.
0: You know, you speak about products and different ways of applying these micros. I know Brian and I were just looking for our own farm, building up micros in, in certain fields and trying to get things that were really short uh, up to snuff. And, and in balance, as, as you like to say, we found a lot of them were in the sulfate form. So we had manganese sulfate, we had copper sulfate, we had an iron sulfate, a zinc sulfate. Uh, are the sulfate forms good? Do you see different forms getting used that, that work as good or better? What, do you have a preference on this?
6: Well, when it comes to dries and most of my liquids, I like the sulfate form, probably the most efficient one they have. Uh, Liquid has some great stuff that they've been able to extract a nutrient and keep it available to the plants. Some of the complexes are good, but if I have my choice, I'm going to go the sulfate way to build that element up.
0: You know, I know we need more sulfur out there, too, and and we've had some questions uh, whenever we talk micronutrients. It, it seems like there's a few guys that say, OK, are you talking sulfur today? Well, no, it's a secondary nutrient. and We do need quite a bit of sulfur. But as you're putting on, say you're putting on zinc sulfate and you put on 20 pounds or something like that, you've got a good, good little chunk of sulfur out there. So that's something that, that you definitely need to be figuring into your program if you're adding sulfur in uh, through through different forms or even uh, we hear a lot of calcium sulfur. Sulfate getting applied in different circumstances, so that's that's something to keep in mind too as you're adding up your total m- nutrient plan. Uh, we mentioned manganese, copper, iron, boron, and zinc a lot, Paul. But what about some of the other micros? Are there other ones that you're really concerned about that don't get much attention?
2: Uh, sometimes
6: a molybdenum could be can be a small you know it can be a small one that you need to add that changes a lot. Uh, the biggest ones I face around here is usually manganese, copper, and sometimes iron. But I think most sometimes gets dropped out where it needs to be.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that's one here too. And, and varying based on pH. And I know you work with a lot of different farmers, yeah. a lot of different soils. How big a deal is your soil pH? Is sometimes the, the micronutrient situation just dramatically improved just by fixing pH?
6: Yeah, it's amazing Well, you know, you correct, you get the, your base lined up close to what Dr. Albrecht wanted. And it's amazing how the other stuff will release and open up and show up on the tests that's more available. And as you're building up, like you're talking about the sulfate form, uh, a lot of our crops, that's why we put out SOP or ammonium sulfate. We're always adding a little bit of that sulfate out there to get some of that sulfur into the plant, the sulfate form into the plant.
0: Hey, you mentioned Dr. Dr. Albrecht, and I know for a lot of our listeners, they they say, "Man, my my university uh, teaches a little different system than what Dr. Albrecht did." What's so different about about Dr. Albrecht? Why why is some of that work a little polarizing in the university community?
6: I think it's because they're all, they're not, you know, they all look at those at the pH, and the way Dr. Albrecht taught Kinsey and all his other students was there's okay, why is the pH there? You know, what's causing the pH to be high or to be low? And, they, you know, some, some places they say, you know, you can't add limestone to uh, a high pH. Well, yeah, you can't because sometimes magnesium is a driving force that's holding the pH up there, and you need more calcium to offset the magnesium. And I've been challenged on every time, I, you know, I go to some places, and now they don't challenge me anymore because we got the soil to change where, where we were trying to head to. And I understand, you know, they were taught that way, but there's the way Dr. Albrecht with that stuff, you know, you can do the math to all the nutrients and everything. It just, it makes more, you know, firm my point, it makes a lot of sense to me because I can look at a piece of dirt at a soil test and work my way to where we need to go. And you'll see the pH will correct itself where it needs to be.
0: You know, this is something Brian and I talk about a lot too is after you have some years of experience of working a system, you get a lot of confidence in that system. We're talking with our friend Paul Borges, who's a consultant out in California, working with the Kinsey Albrecht system and having great luck with that. Uh, Paul, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD.
1: Weed control without the BS. That's more time to apply without wasting time. That's flexible tank mixing that doesn't bend the truth. That's
2: near zero volatility with unmovable principles. With the Enlist weed control system, there is no sacrificing. Get better weed control with no ifs, ands, or buts at Enlist.com. Enlist.com.
0: Every week for more than two decades, Ag PhD TV has provided agronomic information to make your farm more productive and profitable. In each episode, we discuss a wide range of topics covering everything from crop fertility, promoting soil health, improving the environment, pest control, and more. All designed to help you push your farm to higher yield goals and more profitability. Be sure to catch us on Tuesdays and Saturdays on RFD-TV. Check your local listings or visit agphd.com to learn more.
2: proactive effective weed resistance management starts in the fall get a clean start for your next season with valor herbicide brands always read and follow label directions
0: don't turn your fertilizer application plan into a guessing game understand exactly how much fertility you need to reach your yield goals with the ag phd fertilizer removal app simply enter your crop and your yield goal and the AgPHD fertilizer removal app calculates the amount of nutrition needed to keep your crop healthy and working for you Quit playing guessing games with your fertility needs. Download the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal App today. Available on the Apple App Store and in Google Play.
6: In an uncertain market, you need to maximize the quality and profitability of your stored grains by controlling profit-robbing insects. A tank mix of Dicon IGR and Sentinel EC Insecticide or DICON IGR Plus offers the long-term control of an insect growth regulator, and the knockdown power of a broad-spectrum insecticide. Keep your grain clean with grain protectants from Central Life Sciences. To learn more, contact your local dealer or visit bugfreegrains.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We've been talking about micronutrients here in the Morton studio, but... Also getting a number of questions that have come in uh, for the Ag PhD mailbag. And one, Brian, we were talking about banding versus broadcasting a little bit, and we have been talking about this uh, for, for quite a while. Uh, got one from HF said that said, could you please expand just a little bit on what you're talking about here with a band, how wide, how deep, do you have to have fertilizer, are you trying to make a seed bed in the fall, and so on.
1: Okay, so... I mean, there are lots of ways to do banding. It can be done with a planter and it can be done on top of the ground, down in the ground. I mean, you could put it in the furrow, you could put it deep. With strip till, we are talking usually a little bit deeper. So a lot of times with coulters, people are getting fertilizer down to four inches. With shanks, you can go clear down to 10 inches even we've done. So a lot of times, commonly it's eight inches that you're getting down with the shank. But anyway, yeah, lots of ways to put that out. So if you were going on top of the row, then that's a lot of times where if I go back to the old days when people used to uh, band dry herbicide, they were going like eight inch wide bands, maybe 10 inches, but a lot of times eight inch wide bands. So, you know, you could do fertilizer that same way if you wanted to. It's just, I don't like laying fertilizer on the soil surface in a band Uh, with the planter, that to me is a little bit more risky. You can certainly do it, but then it takes more time. And I just, I'm, I'm typically not going that way. So when we're talking strip till, let's come back to that. And I would just say there, it's a pretty narrow band because it's down in that, in that trench. So with a coulter or with a shank, either way, it's only maybe couple inches wide so three inches wide something like that it's really no big deal and then you have to be a little bit careful about how much fertilizer you're putting out there and is it going to hurt your roots so where I'm going with this is the closer you have the fertilizer to the seed and the higher the rate then the more risk you have now certainly you have more risk when you have light soil and not a lot of rainfall just like this year dry year Lots of fertilizer damage out there because fertilizer, by definition, is salt. Fertilizer is salt. Don't ever forget that. So when you have a dry year, salt kills you. And so you got to be even more careful with fertilizer. But typically, what we're talking about a lot of times when we're banding with a strip till machine, we're usually putting out grain removal rates. You know, it could just be whatever type of removal rates you want to look at. We're not usually going on some big build program or anything like that. In part, because you got to spread your fertilizer out a little bit in order to not burn roots off if you start running with really, really high rates. So anyway, we could talk about that all day. Hopefully, that answered your question. If you get more specific, a more specific question, let us know.
0: All right. Get this one from J.R. about fall fertilizer application. He said harvest is in full swing here in southern Alberta. Uh, I was watching uh, some of your information on fall fertilizer applications, and Brian made a comment that you're not using anhydrous anymore, partly because it's not available in your area. I'm just wondering if it was available, would you still use it? And also wondering which nutrients do you prefer to apply with strip till in the fall?
1: P and K usually in terms of strip tilt. Sometimes we're doing a micronutrient blend. If we have to do variable rate micronutrients across a field, like let's say we wanted to be on a build program. Just as an example, let's say i got a a field that's high in phosphorus, and I want to get my zinc level up to 6 parts per million, just as an example, and my average right now is 1 or 2 parts per million. Well, with something like that, if I want to do it like all in one shot, I'm probably going to broadcast that out there and variable rate throughout the field, So I hit that right. Whereas when we're banding, then usually we're just putting on a flat rate and it's more about crop removal. And maybe let's say it's crop removal over a two-year period because a lot of people want to strip till every other year in our region. They're rotating corn and beans. They just want to do it every other year. So they might put on enough fertilizer for the corn and the beans and that's fine too. So lots of ways to do it.
0: All right, Brian, uh, get this one from another person named Brian. He said, I've got yellow nutsedge out in grass hay. What active ingredients are you finding success with controlling yellow nutsedge, and are there any that wouldn't also harm grass? All right, thanks for the question, Brian. There, there are a few active ingredients that we really like for yellow nutsedge control, and I'm just thinking of a couple active ingredients that may or may not be labeled depending on what kind of grass hay you've got. Uh, I like Bentazon or the active ingredient from Basagran. That's one that has worked, Uh, but I probably like the active ingredient from Sandia or Permit, even a little bit more Halo-Sulfuron. That's one that, that is a pretty good broadleaf killer, but doesn't seem to hurt the grass much, so you'd have to check and see if they're labeled for your particular grass. Another one that we talk about a lot in non-grass crops is metolachlor. that that actually has a little bit of activity, uh, but that's, that's certainly one that is a grass killer. So I wouldn't recommend that in
1: your situation. I'll say, too, there are some people who will use Roundup in their grassy areas. Now, we're not real big believers in that, but you certainly could do that. Uh, Roundup just is not the best, though, when we start talking yellow nutsedge because it's got such a waxy leaf. So usually when we're spraying this particular weed with Roundup, in crop fields, for example, or especially in burn-down situations, you just have to run with an awful high rate of roundup and a low rate of water. Otherwise, you don't get much for control.
0: The other challenge in grass hay, if you're trying to control yellow nutsedge, we always look at what the drainage situation is because in Definitely. Wet, wet areas, that's where we see more yellow nutsedge. If you've got a permanent grass crop, though, you could certainly plug up tile lines with shallow place tiles. So that may be something that you take a look at that you, you may run a few lines a little deeper through that particular area and by
1: shallow it. and deep we're talking about shallow as three foot maybe four foot deep would be six eight ten feet deep down in the ground something like that
0: all right uh, let's take another question here We've Got this one from ted and it's a base saturation question he said my soil test only gives base saturation numbers for calcium magnesium and potassium those numbers are 29%, 8%, and 2% respectively. Does that mean that the remaining 61% is hydrogen and sodium? If so, I've got some acidic sodic soil. He said, "I'm wondering also, aren't other positively charged cations, whether it's uh, ammonium, aluminum, iron, manganese, copper, zinc, aren't they part of the picture too, or are they some somehow separated from total base saturation?" My well, soil sandy pH is 6.1.
1: Okay, with a 6.1 pH, you probably have, just guessing off that my head, 15, 18% hydrogen. So it's not going to be real high. And usually we do not see a buildup of sodium in sandy soil as long as it's well-drained, and we're going to assume here your sandy soil is well-drained. So uh, those numbers are just wrong. And what we'd suggest is send them into another lab, and let's see what we get for real figures, because Adding up 29, 8, and 2, that gives me 39%. So, yeah, 61% being hydrogen, sodium, and other nutrients. No way. Nope, I just don't see that. So, But let's put it this way. Different labs run things in different ways. So y- you can talk to that lab, but otherwise we'd just suggest send it into a lab that we're, we're used to working with. Maybe it's Midwest Labs or something. Just send one sample in, and then you could get numbers to compare and if you want send us a copy of that test and a copy of your test that you've got and let's just see what that looks like
0: all right thanks for the question really appreciate that and yeah we'd, we'd love to see the specific soil test too on some of these things to see what we can do to help figure it out got a question from adam and he said i'm wondering if you guys use Soil penetrometers, and if so, if you have specific ranges that you would say are ideal ground pressures for crop establishment and for optimal growth.
1: No, we don't typically use penetrometers. Um, I, there I, are use a, lot of- I
0: use a shovel, Adam, a lot. Yeah. I, I bring out my tile spade, and, which is basically just a long, thin, uh, blade, and I like well, to dig in the soil and just see if I can't get into the soil easily. That's a real problem, and if I see it restricting root growth at certain levels, I identify compaction that way. But yeah, I'm not not often using a penetrometer just with our heavy ground. If we're dry, right, uh, it just is so hard all the time, and and if it's wet, challenge.
1: then it's soft, and so it, it it's not a super accurate way to look at things. I realize people want to talk about that, but the problem is you got to then compare compare wet and dry and well how wet and how dry and so anyway yeah usually we like digging root pits we like just seeing what we have for root growth down below ground and then we kind of go from there if it looks like we need to address that or not all right well stay tuned we're going to get back to the phone lines right after this on ag phd radio heat drought wind hail northern corn
4: leaf blight gray leaf spot if your corn is under stress you are too get veltema fungicide swift activities with fast payback, an expanded application window,
0: <sighs>
4: makes life simple, and it's the secure choice with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima Fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima Fungicide
0: is not registered in all states. Your schedule can change by the minute, making it hard to stay on top of the latest agronomy information. But at Ag PhD, we have some good news for you. If you miss an episode of Ag PhD TV or radio, You can catch up at agphd.com. With years of valuable content and latest episodes available to stream for free, you can continue building your agronomic knowledge on any schedule. While you're there, don't forget to check for upcoming AgPhD events and workshops. Watch, listen, and learn at agphd.com. What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting
6: flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate?
0: Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall.
4: When you're ready to harvest more corn, Drago is ready to help. The proven Drago Series 2 cornhead with automatic self-adjusting deck plates beats competitive brands for harvest efficiency, and the new Drago GT features integrated deck plate ear shocks for unsurpassed yield capture. Harvest more, return more with a Drago cornhead. For more information on Drago cornheads, go to dragotech.com. That's DragoTec.com.
2: Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We've been talking about micronutrients, also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Head down to Iowa next, get our friend Kelly Garrett on to talk a little about micronutrients. Kelly, how you doing? Good. How are you, Darren? Good. Good. Uh, guys cutting silage down there? Guys harvesting anything? What's happening?
4: We started cutting silage yesterday, and following Matt Miles' advice, we actually desiccated a field of soybeans last Wednesday. Uh, we've been getting some rain, but if it stays dry, I think we'll be able to harvest those Friday or Saturday. I'm excited about that.
0: Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of fun when you start getting some numbers in to see how you did. And one of the numbers that I'm looking forward to seeing is the number, well, all the numbers that show up on our soil test to see what our soils look like. I know you look at a complete soil analysis on your farm. I know you look at micronutrients. Are there certain micros that you're focusing on in your part of Iowa with your with your crop rotation?
4: I would say zinc and boron are two that we pay the most attention to right now.
0: Okay, so how are you doing? What does your farm get if you had a a scale of A, B, C, D, or F? Uh, What kind of grade does your farm get on zinc, and what kind of grade do you get on boron right now?
4: Because of that uh, plant food byproduct we have, Darren, we have a tremendous amount of available phosphorus. And your phosphorus-zinc ratio is important. So we put on more zinc than the average person would because we're trying to keep that ratio in balance. It's all about keeping the soil in balance. Boron is such a leachable product that we probably put on some boron almost every time we go across the field.
0: Okay. So you didn't answer my question, Kelly. Are you, are you getting well, yeah, are you an A student on the zinc now since you're adding no, so much?
1: I
4: I am a B student on the zinc because I think we need to push it harder, and I am a... B minus student on the boron because we need to keep those levels up better. It's just a challenge to figure out how to do so sometimes.
0: Okay. Okay. That's not bad. That's not, I'll take a B or a B minus, especially when it comes to some of these nutrients. Cause you know, at 300 bushel corn, a B is probably cool, but I know you want to be over 400 bushel corn. So are these a couple of things you're looking at? You got to be an A student on these?
4: I think we have to be an A student on everything
0: to get the 400 bushel, yes. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that one. Okay, so talk to us then about the zinc and about the boron. How are you doing? Are you doing it foliar? Are you doing it, it sounds like the boron, you're doing a lot of foliar apps as you're going across. How about zinc? Do you do a lot with the planter, or, or how are you fixing that issue with of balancing out the phosphorus with enough zinc?
4: We will put zinc in furrow, then we'll put zinc in the 2 by 2 to try to cure Create that relay effect, so there's some available as the roots grow, and then we will come back with it foliar uh, throughout the season as well. You know, and ending with that fungicide pass.
0: How about on this hilly ground? I, I've been to your farm, Kelly, and it's not flat. Uh, there's there's some challenging no hills sir. there. Do you do you struggle more on hilltops or side hills or valleys? Where where is the toughest spot for you?
4: Uh, you know, so we have four thousand acres of corn. Twenty five percent of that we feel that we can effectively go across with the Hagee and wide drop and do things like that. And, and as well as make the foliar pass, the other 75% doesn't get a wide drop pass. And then it gets the fungicide pass with the plane, you know, and the Hagee's putting out 20 gallons to the acre, whereas the plane is putting out five. Sure. So I feel more confident in that 20 gallon acre, just because you're soaking the plant. And that's why we, that's why we do what we do, uh, you know, with that, in those hillier areas where, where the plane is the only option, we're doing the best we can do, but I would tell you that it probably lacks some, and that, that hurts our grade a little bit, shall we say.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's tough. You don't farm in easy ground, but you are being pretty successful at it, so we do have to applaud that, and that's why we like to, to talk to other farmers like you, Kelly, just to try and learn what we can. We've got some hilly ground, but uh, it doesn't really hold a candle to the slopes that you've got to deal with where you're at for sure. Yeah.
4: It- and that, and then th- because of that, that's why we would try to put more up front with the planner because it's hard to make those other passes. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, you just have to adjust. There's no doubt about that. Well, I know you got silage going. I know you're busy. Kelly, we really appreciate having you on. Look forward to talking to you again soon.
4: Thanks, Darren. See you later.
0: You bet. Uh, got our friend Keith out in Illinois on with us right now with a couple of questions. Keith, how you doing?
3: I'm doing all right, Darren. How are you?
0: Pretty good. Pretty good. All right. So you're looking at soil test data. You've already got some from this fall.
3: Well, what I did, there and I, I did a little experiment. I really don't know where to go with it from here or, or whatever, but I, I just took in a couple of spots. I had a, a field that was fairly high fertility. It's pretty close to the hog barns. And then another one that's I'm still working on. And I took a soil test and a tissue test in each one of those same spots. And one thing I noticed that uh, I was really surprised at, at a few particular nutrients that were particularly low in this corn crop and and the corn at the time I think was about R2 so you know pretty far along sure and I guess I'm just wondering you know if you guys talk a little bit about what kind of comparisons you might have seen as far as how much nutrient has come out of the ground into that crop and what I should be worried about as far as getting those nutrients replaced all
0: right so illinois man moisture was variable i talked to some guys in illinois that just kept missing the rains and others got more than enough rain for the year how about you keith how, how did the moisture kind of spread out through the year were you pretty good all the way through or were there some times that were pretty tough
3: there there was just a very little bit of time i'd say when the corn was about v8 uh maybe v10 about v8 probably that we twist it up just a little bit. But other than that, we've had, we've had plentiful moisture.
0: Okay. All right. So that's kind of a big factor. I know for, for our soil that uh, is fairly heavy. We, we, we see when we get rainfall, a big flush of nutrients coming in, and that's wonderful. But when we're dry, even if our soil test level looks great, sometimes we just can't push those nutrients in. So I always have a, a little bit of caution trying to compare soil tissue tests or soil tests with tissue tests. Just in, you know, if you're getting plentiful moisture, great. Then, then I'll start looking at stuff. So let's just take it. You've got plentiful moisture. Uh, how heavy is the ground that you've got right in your area, Keith? Do you know the CEC by any chance?
3: Yeah, it's fairly light. We're looking at, at, on the low end, 1.7, all the way up to about a 2.8. Oh,
0: wow. Okay, really light soil. All right. We're fairly light. Yeah. Okay. So, in that case, I, I'm going to be no, conser- wait a minute.
3: back up there back up there. And I'm, I'm You're sorry. thinking organic, matter, organic matter. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, yep. Um, I'm looking at about a seven to 10 on the CEC.
0: Seven to 10. Okay. I
3: apologize
0: for that. Sure. 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 No. So it's, so it's still lighter soil, but, but not, not that yes. light. Yes, I got gotcha. you. Yes. Okay. So the good thing about that is you can move nutrients in fairly well. And, I, I like that so if you're running short on some of those tissue levels what it what it's telling me is we probably need our parts per million to be higher to begin with so are there certain nutrients that you're finding you're running short in the tissue tests?
3: Well you know I, I really wasn't as concerned on the tissue tests as much as the fact that on the on the farm that I was telling you that was a, that I'm still working on I was surprised my potassium level in the soil was only 46 parts per million okay and on the, on, this, on the dirt that, uh, that the field that was clearly high fertility, I, I wish I could tell you, like, from the previous fall what my potassium level was, but I can't. But I've got a feeling it was in the above 200 range on parts per million. Okay. And this, this test was 107. Gotcha. You know, with that growing crop. And I, just, I, I guess I was kind of surprised at how, how low they were in season
0: yeah the the plant does draw a lot. and And one of the things I'd look at on corn in the AGPHD fertilizer removal app, you can see for just say 200 bushel corn for for uh, rough numbers. When we look at potassium, the the number that is in there for grain, a lot of folks aren't too worried about the grain removal number because it's not that high but when you look at the stover number that gets a little bit intimidating so um i'm just pulling it up here on my phone just to give you the exact numbers off the app but um I'm, man i'm slow some days i'm pretty fast on this and today i'm a little bit slow uh okay so corn 200 bushel uh We've got potassium numbers 50 is what the grain removal is, but 220 is the stover removal. So we need a total of 270 pounds of K that we've got to pull up out of the ground. And so much of that, such a high percentage, uh, what about 80% of that is just going to the stover. So it's a building block for our plant. And you mentioned v, V8, V10. Uh, you had a little bit of stress. And then at R2, you were looking at where you were at too. And we've done all the building. By the time we get to the reproductive, of stages we built the stock we built the roots and now we just got to fill out the year so we've we've taken up a huge percentage of our case so I'm not too concerned that that sometime in the middle of the season you've drawn half the K out of the soil I would kind of expect that
3: sure okay okay um, well uh, yeah what now are your uh-
0: I was going to say, Keith, we're out of time today. But I was going to say, okay. now that now the challenge is replacing all that K that a good crop takes out when it's at the price level it's at, it's going to be a little bit a little bit challenging here. Uh tell you what, Keith, if you got more questions, uh, maybe give us a holler back tomorrow or send us an email.
3: I might do that, Darren. For all right, time. thank
0: you. Yep, really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. Join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.